I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Never apologize for being patriotic. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Tuesday and it's honestly provocative talk radio for America. And when I mentioned this last night because the news broke rather late, I thought we've got to make this today's poll on X. We put up a brand new question every day of the week and we put it up on what used to be called Twitter, now called X. Michigan wants residents to house illegal aliens and refugees in their homes. And not for a little while. They want you to house them for up to 90 days and perhaps even longer. Would you take them in? I don't think you have to think about that for more than a second or two. No, I'm not going to do it because I don't like our open border. I don't like the policies that have been adopted by the Biden administration declaring an open border and 10 million illegals into the country at gigantic expense to American cities. Only now, what not just Michigan, but other states like Massachusetts are trying to do is say, well, the Democrats and Joe Biden decided to let all these illegal aliens in and the Democrats on Capitol Hill won't do anything to stop it. And Mayorkas has been impeached, but the Senate doesn't want to convict him because they think he's doing a good job by letting in millions, millions and millions of undocumented Democrats to be here for the next election. And now you want us to house them and provide them with three hots and a cot and all the rest of that stuff? No, absolutely, positively not. Now, I'm curious because in Michigan, the Office of Global Michigan, which is one of these... uh, politically correct virtue signaling agencies of the state of Michigan, which amazes me that the taxpayers of Michigan would say, oh, yeah, we want to spend a whole bunch of money doing stuff like this, virtue signaling to the rest of the country. And now they've actually made this request. They sent it out as a release yesterday. We're looking for resident volunteers to house what they call migrants, meaning illegal aliens and refugees, in their homes and help them integrate into U.S. society. Michigan Department of Labor and Economic Development says residents who participate, if you decide to do it, you've got to commit to doing it for 90 days. Now, i got to tell you something. I think this is lunacy anyway. To demand of Americans, we have screwed up our own border. We had a nice, tight border that had the lowest level of illegal alien invasion for four years under Donald Trump. And Joe Biden walked in the door. And if you think I'm unfairly putting the blame on him, he's the one who signed 94 executive orders reversing the Trump policies that had brought us to one of the lowest levels of illegal entry to the United States in American modern history. And he did all that to reverse everything Trump had done. And what have we got as a result? The reverse from the lowest levels of illegal entry to America to the highest levels. And now you've got states in the northern part of the country demanding that residents take people in. Oh, and if you take them in, you got to take them for 90 days. Let me give you a little warning about that as well. Consider this. Depending on the laws in your state, if you say, well, we took these people in out of goodness of our heart, they stayed 90 days, and then we ask them to go somewhere else, and they're telling us they don't want to go. 
You know, that's already happened in some of the big cities that are dealing with this illegal alien invasion like New York, where they put a bunch of illegals in a hotel that the city has rented at taxpayer expense. And then when they say, we're going to move you to a migrant camp and the so-called migrants, the illegal aliens say, you're not moving us. We like it here. We like the free meals. We like the free housing. We like trashing this hotel, which usually they do at great expense, again, to the taxpayers. We're not moving. Well, if you take them into your home, you all of a sudden have a tenant in your home. And I want to warn you about something. You might be inclined to say, well, but Lars, they're not a tenant. They're not paying us rent. If you examine the rental laws or the you know landlord-tenant laws of your state, you're going to find out whether they pay or not is not the issue. The issue is once they are your tenant, whether they pay you one thin dime or not, you can't necessarily just tell them to leave. You may have to treat them like any landlord treats any tenant. And depending on the state, you may actually have to pay relocation costs. If you're saying move out of my house without cause, you may have a problem there as well. So Michigan wants residents to house illegal aliens. Will you take them in? My answer is no. You can answer any way you like. At Lars Larson Show on X. You can also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. It has the conservative values I believe in. I joined the group long time ago. You can too. Just go to AMAC.us or call 888 262 2006. AMAC is better, better for you and better for America. Let me tell you what's coming up this hour. And then I want to talk about frozen embryos. And whether or not their private property or human life, believe it or not, there is a big decision that's come out of Alabama on that very subject. But first, coming up this hour, for the third time, the U.S. has now vetoed a resolution at the U.N. demanding an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. Is there any form of solution the U.S. would consider? In this case, you know what's happening here. The terrorist group Hamas carries out a terrorist attack, slaughters more than 1,200 people. Then they immediately say, Ali, Ali, oxen free. We want a ceasefire right now before Israel goes in and hunts down those terrorists. So Joe Biden may actually, or his administration may be doing something I actually agree with in this case by saying, we're not going to back a resolution at the UN that demands an immediate ceasefire. However, I don't necessarily think they're going to stick with that for very long. With just days remaining until the South Carolina primary, Donald Trump now holds a 33% lead, a massive lead, over Nikki Haley in her own home state. Is she going to drop out? She's already said, I'm here for the duration. Well, we'll see how that goes after she loses big time in her own home state. Earlier this month, the news broke that New York City was preparing to distribute prepaid debit cards to illegal aliens at the cost of $53 million. But could the real cost actually add up into the billions? We're going to get into that as well. And take just a moment to cast a vote my X poll. You'll find the X poll online uh, at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Now, about those embryos, the Alabama Supreme Court, this is from the Federalist, has reaffirmed the indisputable scientific fact that life begins at conception. And how did they do that? The high court in Alabama said that it rules that all unborn children, including embryos that are not yet inside the woman, you know, IVF fertilization, all that, 
are human beings under the state's wrongful death of a minor act. Until now, embryos created outside of the womb, they write, with assisted reproductive technology were legally considered to be property and not people. The Alabama Supreme Court decision, however, paves the way for the sanctity of unborn life to become an important consideration when states adopt laws about IVF uh, in vitro fertilization uh, reproduction. The Medical Association of the state of Alabama has filed a brief warning that ruling an embryo as an unborn child could harm their business model. Well, we're sorry to the Medical Association, but that's the way it is. But consider this. 7% of the babies conceived via IVF make it to pregnancy. Those who survive life in a Petri dish sometimes end up being graded. This one's good, that one's not. Now they're not property, they are human beings. Back in a moment. Senator John Kennedy on the Washington establishment. The Washington establishment is working harder than an ugly stripper to cover up whatever happened. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Tuesday, and we love to talk to Frank Gaffney, founder of the Center for Security Policy, author, by the way, of the number one best-selling book on Amazon in its category, The Indictment, prosecuting the Chinese Communist Party and friends for crimes against America, China, and the world. Frank, welcome back. Is Frank there? No. Sounds like we got a. Uh, let's see if we got a line problem. Hey, Frank, are you there? Now let's line him up on a different line because I don't think that line. Ha- I think that line has a problem. Just take my word for it. But as I mentioned at the top, the UN Security Council expected to debate a resolution offered by Algeria that would demand an immediate ceasefire. In- oh, looks like we dropped him off. So let's uh, get rid of that. Sorry. There we go. Um, we got to get Frank back on the line because I want to know where he is on this. I kind of expect that Joe Biden would like to throw Israel under the bus at the first opportunity. I think that's exactly what he's planning to do. But for right now, the Biden administration, through its representative at the United Nations, an organization for which I have pretty much, pretty close to zero respect, uh, that they are so far holding off and actually endorsing that. Frank, welcome to the program. Hi. Sorry. Miracles of mute. Yeah, I, I understand. Mute, mute gets a lot of us from time to time. Tell me this: Is the Biden administration going to stick with this position and not uh, uh, auger in favor of a, a ceasefire? Because I think a ceasefire is simply Hamas saying we want to carry out terrorist attacks, and then after we've done it, before the uh, the Israelis hunt down a terrorist organization, we want them to agree not to hunt us down. That doesn't seem like the right decision to me. But as I told my audience, I think that uh, Joe Biden would throw Israel under a bus at his first opportunity, as long as he could make it look politically correct for him. Yeah, the thing that makes this just so insidious, Lars, is is not only the betrayal of Israel that's involved here. Uh, and it may be that it's incremental, but it's definitely going in the wrong direction. But it's the hypocrisy. It's the professions of undying support for Israel. And, you know, we'll be with you, you know, to the end. 
And in fact, what the government of the United States, I think contrary to the vast majority of its people's uh, desires and certainly interests, has been doing is inexorably undermining the government of Israel, I mean, threatening literally to topple it, and to um, work with others in this so-called international community determined to save Hamas. And that's what a ceasefire would do, uh, even if it's a short one, frankly. It just relieves the pressure on Hamas. It uh, facilitates the insertion of, you know, material uh, assistance, humanitarian, you know, relief and so on, that that they wind up ripping 60% or more off of uh, the, the people of Gaza. And it just winds up propping up this, as you say, terrorist organization. We shouldn't want any part of it, but I'm afraid the Biden administration is all about it. So why isn't the rest of the world, which seems happy to call for Israel to stop and engage in a ceasefire, why isn't the rest of the world demanding that Hamas surrender? I mean, as you pointed out, both uh, Canada's Prime Minister, Stephen Harper, uh, has said former Prime Minister Stephen Harper, I guess I wish for better days before Trudeau, uh, but uh, but he said Hamas could surrender. Anthony Blinken, uh, a few days before Christmas, said, hey, they could surrender and this whole thing ends tomorrow. And yet the rest of the world, I don't see the rest of the world uh, raising a cry that says these terrorists should surrender and, and uh, will do what's, what's just uh, for, their, for their terrorist crimes. Yeah, you know, I have to confess, Lars, that um, I, I wrote a piece on the subject, as you know, and um, I went looking for uh, Stephen Harper's statement, <clears throat> which he made earlier this week in the National Post in Canada. Yeah. But lo and behold, the uh, the Duck Duck Go search, I think it was, turned up this statement by Tony Blinken back in December of last year, in which he said, you know, uh, why doesn't the world insist that the aggressor surrender rather than the victim of the aggression, you know, make concessions endlessly? Well, I haven't seen much of that Tony Blinken lately, I have to say, and this goes back to what we were talking about a moment ago. If the United States government were putting forth the kind of concerted, disciplined, sustained effort to compel Hamas to surrender, that it is now investing in trying to get Israel to make concessions, you know, I think this situation would be very different. I, I was actually told uh, several weeks ago, Lars, maybe a month more, um, that Qatar had actually said that Hamas ought to surrender. They, they were talking about sort of conditionally and, you know, getting the guys out of Gaza and so on, the, the, the leaders, that is. But you know, that went over the side, because what is actually in the works now is compelling Israel to make compromises that will result, I'm afraid, ultimately in an untenable position for the Jewish state. And that's not in our interest, as Tony Blinken said in his statement, that's not in the region's interest, that's not in the world's interest. It's certainly not in that, the interest of the American people. Well, and in fact, the concessions you're talking about, if I understand them right, are Israel withdraws from Gaza, Israel no longer goes after the terrorists, and the you know, Hamas terrorism uh, organization gets to reconstitute itself right where it was when it carried out the slaughter to begin with. So, so that's the deal. Let the bad guys get back together, regroup, and have their territory, Gaza, back, 
and then then they can carry out more attacks down the line. Is there any doubt that that's the way it would play out? Uh, none whatsoever in my mind. In fact, you know, the, the guys in Hamas are actually saying that's what will happen. And not only that they'll be back in business, but they will revert to doing more October 7th again and again and again, as long as it takes to drive what the Jews into the sea. You know, and and so for us to be doing anything else, the other thing, very quickly, Lars, because I'm sure we're approaching the end of our time together. But now we got about four. Uh, there, there, there was a gal by the name, I believe it's Bonnie Jenkins, who is an undersecretary of state, who was testifying last week um, before uh, I think it was the uh, uh, the House Foreign Affairs Committee, if memory serves, and it, it was it was on a different subject. But a guy by the name of Brian Mast, you may know, uh, a I do. Military veteran who lost two him. legs in the service of this country, and and he just pressed her on. So who are they in favor of leading the Palestinian state that the Biden administration is insisting must be created when all of this is said and done? And she she just for about five minutes refused to answer the question. She <laughs> said, "Oh, it's a larger context," and so on. they don't have an answer, and that's what makes all of this. Not just hypocritical and not just, you know, I think uh, ill-conceived, but absolutely malfeasant. And it well, is Frank, endangering one of our most important allies. We mustn't be doing that. But is it that they don't have an answer or is the answer that the Biden administration says you've got to have Gaza, you know, have some government in place and that they want Hamas to be that government the way they've been the government since, what, 2006? So they want to put the same bad guys or or is the Biden administration actually taking the position that they're going to say, no, we need an entirely different, you know, uh, organization or government of Gaza and we can't let Hamas go back to their prior position. Is it that they do have an answer? They just don't want to say it out loud. We don't know is the truth of the matter. My own personal guess is they know full well that whoever they're going to put in will, in fact, be working for the same agenda that Hamas is at the moment, and may even be Hamas when all is said and done. And it's shameful. It's absolutely reprehensible, and it has to be corrected, Lars. It has to be corrected. Yeah, and in fact, at this point, it'd be interesting for some of the people covering the State Department to say, hey, Tony Blinken said December 20th, that uh, Hamas could surrender and this would all be over. Does the Secretary of State of the United States working for Joe Biden, he's the president's mouthpiece on foreign policy, does he still hold to the position that Hamas should surrender? And if so, why give them any quarter at all? Let them decide it's better to surrender than to end up being a dead jihadi. Glad to be with you on a Tuesday, 866-439-5277. You've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Kids. Small Town Politics with Big Town Opinions. This is the Lars Larson Show. Try that in a small town. Welcome 
Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show on this Tuesday. We love it when we get emails, and I got one from Anna Grace, who wrote to me. Very nice lady, it sounds like. I don't know her, but she said, this is a serious question for you, Lars. Can I fly down to the border, cross into Mexico, turn around and walk back across the border as an alien, as long as I don't tell them I'm a citizen? I need money and education and free everything that the illegals are getting. Seriously, could I? A big old blonde, blue-eyed gal of German descent, could I get all those services love your show signed anna grace well i'm reasonably sure they'd call you out but then again they're getting illegal border crossers from all over the world so why not what happens when american citizens say hey i've fallen on hard times why don't i just wander across the border and then i'll start to come back in i'll get caught by border uh, patrol and i'll tell them i want an airplane ticket i want the two thousand dollars right up front I want to have some travel documents. I'd like to change my name. I'd like to do all those things. And uh, what's the Biden administration going to do at that point? 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Let's go to Bill. Hey, Bill, welcome to the program. What's on your mind on a Tuesday? Hi, Lars. Thank you much for taking the call. Let me sure. ask you something. Now, I, I want clarification all right. Governor Whitmer in Michigan has proposed that citizens of Michigan, their residents, take in illegal aliens. Well, I let me put it this way, Bill, j- just so people know that I'm, I'm doing this the way that you should. So is it Gretchen Whitmer personally? Well, she's as governor. She is head of the executive branch of government of that state. All right. And the mm-hmm. off the Michigan Department of Labor and Economic Development is part of the executive branch of the government. Now, whether she has her fingerprints directly on this request, I suspect she does. But the Michigan no Department of Labor and Economic Development is her agency. So I think I can put this on her desk. Does that make sense? It does. Now, my point is, one of the things that caused the American Revolution was the colonists were forced to house British sh- British soldiers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Amendment what's 3, the, right? What's the difference here? Help the me one out. No, the one no, and Bill, you, you've brought up the only time I've heard Amendment 3 brought up uh, because uh, the Third Amendment, everybody talks about the First and the Second and the Fourth and the Fifth and a number of others, and lately the Fourteenth and the Fifteenth, but the Amendment 3 was that you couldn't force citizens to house, uh, you know, to house British troops. You couldn't, you, the government couldn't come along and say, you will be giving up your house to house these troops. And, uh, and so I think that's effectively what they're asking for. Except right now, Bill, they're trying to do it the way they usually sneak things in. They're saying, we're asking, would you voluntarily take these people in? I think the thing that comes right after the ask, maybe it'll be in a week, maybe it's a month, is going to be we aren't getting enough people to voluntarily share their homes with illegal aliens. So now we're not asking. We're telling you, you will be taking these people in. That's probably what's coming next. Because, Bill, how many people in Michigan or any other state in America are going to say, I'm going to voluntarily let a bunch of people who've never been vetted by the government, the way regular immigrants to the country are. They haven't been vetted health-wise, criminal background, none of that. And you're asking these people to take in these folks into into their homes and, and commit to keeping them there for at least 90 days? I mean, how much well, risk are well, you at? Go ahead. 
Lars, as a former resident of the Democratic Socialist People's Republic of Ann Arbor, <laughs> I, I don't doubt that that, would ha- that plays well to the uh, citizens of Ann Arbor. I can tell you, you get away from that area, and that will not fly whatsoever. I would I would bet you're right. And I'll bet what they'll do is they'll get a few model immigrant families to take up uh, housing in somebody's home and they'll get the news media to do all kinds of stories. Look how warm and fuzzy this is. Why it's like little house on the prairie all over again. Let's go to our first naysayer of the day. And that's Frank. Hey, Frank, welcome to the Lars Larson show. What's on your mind and what do you and I disagree about that makes you a naysayer? Well, I think you're missing the point of uh, sanctuary states and cities vis-a-vis the, what the census does when those sanctuary states get to count all the immigrants. It has nothing to do with them voting Democratic, everything to do with all of the um, congressional seats they win or lose in the census. Yeah, about a decade from now, right? Well, yeah, but if you look at the last two sentences, look at the number of seats lost in the Northeast yep. and gained in the Southwest. Yes, sir. I agree with you there, so, although the only reason I put the election first, because I believe these illegal aliens will be used as voters in the November election. Well, they, the, de- the Democrats, well, they I know may, they'd like to, Well, go ahead. They may try to do that. And they may succeed in some instances. No, no, but it's going to be big. the is the number of representatives you have from your state, which then converts into uh, electoral college votes. And so the sanctuary states, if they keep stacking in illegal immigrants, they're going to essentially do the same thing the Republicans did at the last or two censuses ago. You know what, Frank, I think they could pick up a bunch of seats in in conservative states. See, I think long term, you might be right. But can I tell you why I think the Democrats are not? They may also be thinking long term. But you know what their biggest problem is right now? Short term. It's very short term because the situation the Democrats find themselves in right now in 2024 not in 2032 when the results of redistricting and the next census take effect. But what they're facing right now, they've got a a president who's barely living right now. You know, you've got Joe Biden who keeps tripping on stairs, doesn't know where he is, says crazy stuff all the time. And they know for sure he's barely able to hang on in this term. I think they know for a fact he can't possibly make it through a second term and isn't likely to get reelected because the whole country can see that he's not mentally or physically capable of doing the job. That's their immediate problem. And people, because of human nature, tend to pay more attention to their immediate problem. They look at the wolf at the door, not the wolf that might come to the door, you know, or, or, the, or something valuable that might arrive 10 years or 8 years from now. So that's why I think the Democrats are focused on what can we do? Democratic Party is losing support among black Americans. The Democrat Party is losing support among Hispanic Americans. Uh, Joe Biden's approval ratings on the border right now are 26 percent, which means the only people who say they approve of what Joe Biden's doing on the American southern border and now northern border as well 
is uh, is the hardcore uh, yellow dog Democrats who'd vote for anything with a D in front of it when it shows up on their ballot. I think their long term plan might be the other. But I'm not sure the Democrat Party knows that it's going to be the same Democrat Party eight years from now. But, Frank, thanks for a great naysayer call. Let's go to Steve in Nevada. Hey, Steve, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Yes, uh, I just wanted to say um, that thing about that lady calling and and sneaking across the border into Mexico and then coming back in, that, that's not even funny. Uh, they would not. Uh, they would hate life uh, uh, crossing the border as a U.S. citizen illegally. You would hate life. Uh, they treat U.S. people very badly that cross the border. And uh, he might want to remember about history, about stuff doing it, people doing it accidentally. And and, and it's it's not something to joke about. <laughs> no, it's not. But it was a young lady, Anna Grace, who wrote to me. Again, I don't know the lady personally, but she said, "Can I get all the free?" stuff they're getting and that is going to start bothering people a lot steve thanks for the call polls you're looking at show nikki haley is going to lose big time to donald trump in her home state in the primary in south carolina along with being rejected by voters in all the states so far is it time for her to throw in the towel let's go to terry Schilling, who's our friend of president of the american principles project terry welcome back and is nikki haley just staying in this race for nothing <laughs> well thanks so much for having me lars i think she's staying Sounded like his phone dropped out. Hang on just a second. Terry, you're there? You know what? I think we're having cell phone difficulties. But, uh, Joel, would you reset up, uh, Terry Schilling? The numbers, and I've just, I, look, there are plenty of polls out there. Some of them show that Nikki Haley is uh, maybe 22 points behind, but some of the polls indicate she may be as much as 33 points behind where Donald Trump is, which is not a gigantic surprise, but it should be fairly humiliating for somebody who's, you know, from South Carolina to lose too bad so badly. Hey, Terry, welcome back. Sorry about the uh, hey. interruption. I don't know what caused. No, yeah, me either. Um, so the reason Nikki Haley's staying in is because this is the last gasp of air from the Never Trump movement, right? They, they're yep. the, the donor class in the Republican Party really hates Donald Trump. They've hated him since he came on the political scene. And it's unfortunate because he's been the best thing that's happened to the Republican Party in decades, right? Since Reagan, I would argue. Uh, but she will, she could stay in after this. I mean, she's putting up a, a front right now saying that she's staying in regardless of the outcome. Uh, but that's kind of what you have to do in order to keep your coalition apart and have any chance of winning. If she announced that she would get out if she didn't win here, then she's that's the last breath of her campaign. But I, I think she's just in it because she's representing the Never Trump faction, the dying Never Trump faction of the Republican Party. And in fact, that that would be a warning sign to to voters, wouldn't it? I mean, if somebody's in a race, even though I didn't like Bernie Sanders politics, I kind of admired the fact that he went out and, uh, you know, from a not on his politics or policy, the fact that he went out and got 30 million people to give an average of, I think it was 27 bucks each. When you can raise 90 million grassroots dollars, that says something. Doesn't say you should be president, but it's pretty impressive. If she says, I'm here, not because you voters believe in me or because you think I'd make a great president, but because I've got a relatively small group of people with big checkbooks who want me to, you know, uh, perform a blocking maneuver on Donald Trump. 
That's not much of a hallmark for a candidate, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not compelling. This is what everyone hates about our political system is that uh, the wealthiest and most corrupt people in this country have an outsized voice over everyday Americans, right? And then you can like Citizens United or not, but that's the system we have. And unfortunately, Nikki Haley is the fruit of that. But it, it, it's not a compelling message. She doesn't, she doesn't have anything that is bringing and attracting voters to her besides getting the Never Trump faction out to vote. And, and by the way, a lot of these people that are voting for her are actually Democrats that are just doing their own version of Operation Chaos. The that yeah. This and, and by the way, Terry, I'm always, I'm always careful about criticizing that maneuver because I understand why Rush came up with Operation Chaos. It was a brilliant maneuver. The late Rush Limbaugh said, here, swap parties in the primary, vote for the biggest dimwit on the Democrat side of the aisle, and then switch back in your registration before November. And uh, you you don't even have to switch, but I would. I, I wouldn't want it. Uh, I wouldn't want the, the taint of the Democrat Party right now and vote for a, a sensible Republican in November. So they're doing only what people on our side of the aisle have done in, in years gone by. What I can't understand is I thought I saw some of her big donors start to drop off, you know, right after the last loss. And I thought, well, she's probably going to lose them all. But she didn't. She's still got people writing her checks as though by staying in, she has any prospect of actually blocking Donald Trump from the nomination. That's that that uh, opportunity is gone at this point, isn't it? It's absolutely gone. Uh, you know, I would say in the beginning of this race, I don't see a path for Nikki Haley to win Iowa. I don't see a path for her to win New Hampshire. Don't see a path for her to win. At this point, there's not a not only uh, not a pathway to win the nomination. There's not a pathway for her to win a single state, a single state. So why is she in this? Well, she's in this just to cause as much damage to Donald Trump and to keep the party from being united around him as possible. And listen, I think that with Joe Biden in the White House, with the state of the economy, with the state of our country and our culture and our society, and all the corruption that's out there, they have to do everything they can to weaken Donald Trump and our movement and keep us from uniting. Otherwise, they don't have a shot, and they know that. Well, it kind of tells you where she's coming from when she's asked perfectly reasonable questions to ask of most candidates. If you lose the nomination, or they should say when you lose the nomination, you're going to back the eventual nominee. And she says she won't say. Uh, my understanding is the last answer she's given is she won't say. Well, hold on. So you're running as a Republican, but if Republican people, voters, choose the other candidate, you're not going to promise to back that other candidate? Um, that ought to, that, that ought to put you, uh, tell, tell, tell people exactly where you're coming from, shouldn't it? It should, and it does. And what it tells us is that she is from the pro-war wing of the Republican Party, right? That is the only reason that, that someone like Nikki Haley could actually refuse to support Donald Trump against Joe Biden. It, it, you know, with everything else going as badly as it can in our country, the only thing that Joe Biden and Nikki Haley agree on is more wars in the Middle East, more wars in Europe, more, 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 more deaths. And, and unfortunately, that is still a wing of the, of the Republican Party that's, that's alive, and uh, that's where most of the money is coming from. Well, and I think most of the reason it's alive, Terry, is uh, most of the reason is money. I mean, I tell my audience all the time that three things drive almost everything, almost everything. Uh, faith does drive, uh, you know, important things, but for the most part, human beings are driven by money, sex, and power, or a combination of the three. And so when you see the defense industry saying, 
We want to sell a lot more of this stuff. Okay, how are we going to do that? Well, we've got to get into some new conflicts. Donald Trump ran promising to get us out of conflicts. He did. Joe Biden now has us in two wars, uh, Gaza and Ukraine, and a possible third with China and Taiwan. And who knows what after that? We don't have the money. We don't have the resources. Recruitment in the military is at an all-time low, right? Military readiness has never been worse. And the idea that we have a commander-in-chief now uh, that wants to continue down this path of more wars when we're completely unprepared, and his the, the challenger, a challenger like Nikki Haley is agreeing with him on that, it's just utter insanity. We can't win another war right now, especially another world war, right? Uh, without a draft. They want to draft your daughters. They want to draft your sons. It's not just sons anymore. It's daughters, too. They want them in the selective service, and they're going to have to because we don't have enough people here uh, to, to staff a new army. Well, I, I just hope that people are paying attention to this, not only in South Carolina, but coming up on March 5 for Super Tuesday. Uh, because if she stays in beyond that, she's clearly got an agenda. It's not about voters. It's not about American citizens. It's all about, as you said, you know, wh whatever you want to say, the pro-war, the establishment Republicans, the I hate Donald Trump crowd. Well, I'm not part of that crowd. That's Terry Schilling, president of American Principles. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS and send your email to talk at LarsLarson.com. Check us out on Instagram and tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson, the Lars Larson Show. Show. When it comes to health, we're all up. Okay, it's a nice ride. It's going to happen. Stand by playback. I know. Lars. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Never apologize for being patriotic. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back to Lars Larson. And Joe, and did Joe Biden's Department of Justice actually submit photographs to the court that are supposed to be lines of cocaine laid out by Joe Biden's, you know, crazy son Hunter that turn out to be sawdust instead? I kid you not, this story couldn't, well, I always say it couldn't get weirder. I, at this point, I think I'm going to tell you just be prepared for it to get weirder and weirder all the time. Let me tell you the details in a moment. First, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Tuesday. And if you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can always uh, vote in our poll on X. Used to be the Twitter poll. Now it's the poll on X. Um, Michigan, once residents of that state, to offer up room in their homes for a 90-day minimum commitment to house illegal aliens and other refugees. Now, my question to you is, if your state asked you to do that, would you take in those illegal aliens and refugees? My answer, a big, solid no. No way, and I think it ought to be insulting that the state of Michigan, you know, states that want to call themselves sanctuaries for illegal aliens, it's a political thing. 
It's absolutely out of line. It's certainly not in keeping with America's immigration tradition, which is you come to this country legally or don't come at all, except that Joe Biden has turned that on its head by welcoming in about 10 million illegal aliens, and a lot of them are turning up in big cities like New York and Chicago and Philly and Washington, D.C. And now we've got, this is called the Office of Global Michigan. It sounds like it's the politically correct, woke, DEI, CRT, everything to the left, executive branch agency of Governor Gretchen Whitmer. The Michigan Department of Labor and Economic Development calling itself the Office of Global Michigan wants residents to participate and make a 90-day commitment to meet the illegal alien family at the airport where they're going to be flying in on a ticket paid for by you and me and then help them find housing, enroll their children in school, find them a job, and by the way, keep them at your house for the next 90 days. That's assuming one of the big assumptions that's built into this, and I just want to raise it because you should know, if you take them in for 90 days and you say, okay, then we'll tell them to, you know, you're on your own at this point, they may just say, we don't want to leave and we now have tenant rights because in most states, uh, landlord-tenant laws If you allow somebody to live at your house for any length of time, usually longer than 30 days, they have tenant rights, even if they weren't paying a dime in rent. So imagine this. You could be stuck with these people for a good long time. And in the short run, consider the fact that people coming into this country illegally are not screened for criminal backgrounds. They're not screened for health issues. They're not screened for any of that. They're simply coming across the border and getting a free airline ticket from slow Joe Biden, or maybe we should call him Uncle Bo- uh, Open Borders Joe uh, at this point. And then Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, wants these people to be put up by people in Michigan, maybe in the town of Ann Arbor, as one of my call, uh, callers suggested, because that's a notoriously liberal town. But I'll bet the rest of that state says, you are not going to house illegal aliens in my house especially after the things that they see some of the illegal aliens do who have arrived in the bigger cities like Los Angeles and New York and are committing all kinds of crimes, taking all kinds of liberties. If you want to put your family at that kind of risk, uh, not me. It's not going to be me. So find the poll on X at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in, so I joined the group a long time ago. You can, too. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better, better for you and better for America. Now, in yesterday's poll, I asked you about that crazy decision. San Francisco has put a a Chinese national on its city elections commission. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. This woman, uh, Kelly Wong, is from China. She's from Hong Kong. And uh, she came here about five years ago. And so she's a Chinese national living in the United States. And she now sits on the elections commission, even though as a foreign national, she has absolutely no right to vote in American elections. But she's going to be making decisions about how elections are run in the city of San Francisco. Uh, The result on that, should a non-citizen be in charge of running elections? 97% of you 
said no, and so did I. Only 3% of you said yes to that crazy question. In any case, glad to get your calls at 866-439-5277. Naysayers always go to the head of the line. A shout-out to our friends in Corinth, Mississippi, who listen on the Super Talk Network, WXRZ. That's FM 94.3 in Corinth, and where you can find my show Monday through Friday. Now, this story just broke within the last about two hours, and it has to do with Hunter Biden, cocaine, and sawdust. And I'm not kidding. I mean, Hunter Biden's lawyers have now gone to court and they have objected because apparently members of the Joe Biden Department of Justice prosecution team, who I don't think have been trying very hard to prosecute Hunter Biden for just about anything, they actually filed with the court pictures of what was supposed to be cocaine, except I've never seen this picture before, only today. But the picture that was filed by special counsel David Weiss, Remember, he's the guy who's been avoiding prosecuting Hunter Biden for the last five years, even though that was his job. The picture, at least to my eyes, is very clearly a table saw. Now, I have a table saw. And what do you find on a table saw that most people use? Well, you find sawdust. And why do you find sawdust? Because a a table saw is used to cut boards, right? Doesn't cut plywood very well, but it'll cut two-by-fours and two-by-sixes. And what's on the table saw? What looks like three lines of sawdust. And apparently this was submitted to the court as evidence of Hunter Biden's cocaine use. I mean, I don't find this. This is an indictment of the DOJ. If these people are really this ham-handed when it comes to prosecuting somebody, it's no wonder we have a crime problem in America. If you're saying, well, we're DOJ attorneys, we're top of the pile, and we think that's uh, cocaine. Really, isn't that a table saw with a bunch of other dust on it that is clearly sawdust? How is that cocaine? Are you just deliberately trying to throw this prosecution or what? In any case, that one just broke in the last couple of hours. Let's go to Casey. Hey, Casey, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Well, first of all, Lars, thank you so much for taking my call. My pleasure. Um, first of all, I want to get to the point like your call uh, associate wants me to. Well, do it quick. Um, but first, I need to say rest in peace, Ronald Reagan. Rest in peace, Rush Limbaugh. Now, K- Casey, you're going to yeah. run out of time if you don't get to it. Okay. If, if they let undocumented people live in someone's house, whether they want them or not, that breaks the Constitution. I agree. They're not doing it. They're not doing it as a mandatory move. But Casey, thanks for the call. You got the Lars Larson show.
The 40th President of the United States always knew where to put the blame. You have blamed mistakes of the past, and you blame the Congress. Does any of the blame belong to you? Yes, because for many years I was a Democrat. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'll get back to your phone calls and emails shortly at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Our medical go-to guy is Dr. Henry Miller, a medical doctor, molecular biologist, the Glenn Swagger Distinguished Fellow at the American Council on Science and Health. Doc, welcome back. Good to be with you, Lars, as always. You've suggested that we may be on the brink of some really gigantic breakthroughs in medicine. I think it's a great idea. What 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 are we talking about? Yeah, there are a number of them. Uh, you know, a week ago or so, uh, I wrote about some of the great breakthroughs that we've seen that are in common practice now, like the um, cardio uh, pul- the pulmonary bypass machine that enables uh, heart surgeons to do open heart surgery, and so on. Uh, but there are some that I think are are imminent. And I tried to pick some in my article, which is available at henrymillermd.org, um, that are not uh, pie in the sky. They're not uh, er- very early findings that might lead to uh, breakthroughs, but some that are really with us. So uh, there are a couple of new antibiotics uh, that can treat um, antibiotic-resistant infections, which are a huge problem. Uh, in the U.S. We see about 3 million uh, antibiotic-resistant infections a year, which uh, kill about 48,000. And uh, it's heartbreaking when um, you you think if we only had uh, a better treatment for these that uh, we could save these patients. Um, So there's one called um, Sosura Balpin, uh, that's uh, been shown to be effective against uh, a, a notorious um, uh, bacterium, Acinobacter baumannii, um, which uh, causes a lot of problems in hospitals, uh, in particular. And um, and there's another um, that is uh, useful against um, methicillin-resistant staph I was, was going to ask you about that one because that one's my stepson. Years ago, before he went in, he almost missed his date for going into the Marines because he'd been bucking hay, and he was wearing a pair of boots that weren't apparently tight enough or the socks weren't right or whatever, and he got a, a bad blister on his heel, which sounds like no big deal. Well, it got MRSA, a methicillin-resistant staph aureus, and they ended up having to shake a, a chunk I think about, I think he described it as half the size of a golf ball out of the back of his heel uh, because of that. So it's serious stuff and it can kill you, right? It can kill you. It kills about 10,000 Americans a year. Uh, and um, the, um, MRSA, uh, the MRSA drug uh, has not yet been tested in uh, clinical trials, but uh, it works well. In, in vitro, in petri dishes, and in mouse models. And the mouse models are fairly good for predicting. The, the uh, clinical trials in humans are underway uh, currently, so we're hopeful about that. Um, in, in addition, um, artificial intelligence is being used for all sorts of things, including for drug discovery, for finding uh, new, new therapies. 
And uh, the way that works is it's a technology called deep learning. And the, um, the programs actually get smarter as you, you challenge them more and provide them more information. So what they do uh, typically is to um, take the, um, the molecular composition of the target that you're trying to uh, attack, say the um, membrane protein or uh, another critical protein of the bacterium, yeah. and they go through uh, millions and millions of possible permutations of drugs, known, known uh, molecular combinations that could attack that target. And then um, people in drug discovery test some of those most promising ones until they find one that uh, that actually does work in a petri dish. And then, but the the uh, AI takes a lot of the legwork out of the front end of that process and lets you focus on the most likely candidates to do it. Ab absolutely, and it's been estimated that they can do in an hour what it would take a postdoc four years to do. Wow. Uh, so th this is a monumental saving in, in time and energy and, and money. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, the next step, once you have a, a, a potential candidate that works in a Petri dish, is you do uh, phase one studies in, in humans for, merely for safety uh, to see that there are no gross adverse effects and look at the pharmacokinetics to see that uh, it's retained for a significant enough time that it would likely uh, cure an infection. Would you so, expect that some of this will be f uh, flushed through the pharmaceutical business? Where they're, I mean, because I know that part of the problem with drugs is they cost a couple of billion dollars to bring to market. But a lot of that is, if I'm not wrong, is because when a company says, we're going to go out and look for new drugs to go after this ailment or that ailment, They've got to do all that front-end work. Well, if you can reduce the amount of work from four years of a postdoctorate, you know, a person in a lab uh, to, to a few hours uh, and then focus just on the most promising things, you could cut the, the cost of new drugs dramatically, couldn't you? Oh, absolutely. But, uh, you know, the uh, drug discovery for antibiotics is a, is a funny business. Uh, because, as you probably know from being in doctors' offices, there are notices that encourage physicians to prescribe antibiotics as little as possible yep. because it, it gives rise to antibiotic-resistant organisms. So that's why if you, you have a cold, you have a uh, um, runny nose and, and congestion, and go in and say, Doc, can you give me a prescription for penicillin or ampicillin, they'll often say no because it's probably a viral infection and we don't want to uh, give antibiotics unnecessarily and stimulate antibiotics. Well, and, and Doc, are, are we in effect breeding better bacteria when we apply these antibiotics to things that are not, or better, you know, diseases? We're, we're making, and because there isn't the way that methicillin-resistant Staph aureus became methicillin-resistant, is they used methicillin on Staph aureus, and they did it long enough, we ended up breeding a, a more powerful uh, Staph aureus, didn't we? Absolutely, absolutely. This is Darwinian evolution 101. Uh, you, you put a, a challenge on an, on an organism, and the fittest survive that challenge, and go on to proliferate, and that's exactly what happens. Uh, so 
uh, interestingly, for that reason, and because we encourage uh, only only the absolutely necessary prescribing of antibiotics, it's not a terribly profitable business. And so there's not a lot of drug discovery, or there hasn't been up till now. And in fact, FDA hasn't approved uh, anything from a new class of antibiotics for more than 40 years. So that's why these are so welcome, and that's why they're on my list. So how do we deal with foreign countries? Because one of the things you, I've met in Mexico in a long time, and I have no desire to go back. But when you're down there, people say, oh, you can go to the pharmacy and you can buy anything you want without a prescription. And I thought, well, isn't that part of the problem that we've got third world countries, among them Mexico, that have decided eh, you can buy anything you want. And that means somebody self doses with uh, antibiotics and undoes all the work that the American doctors are trying to do. Absolutely, Lars. That's, it's a terrible idea. And another thing uh, that, uh, that that causes that's undesirable is that uh, people who legitimately have a bacterial infection go in, buy a drug, and then treat themselves incompletely until, only until they're feeling a little bit better and not thoroughly. And what happens is that the bacteria that survive that initial hit with the antibiotic are the most fit, and they go on to proliferate and spread. That's a good point. Dr. Henry Miller, you can find what he writes at henrymillermd.org. Doc, it's a pleasure. Thanks very much. Coming up in a moment, your phone calls and emails, and why is the number of Christians in the United States a sign of increasing secularization of this country? You've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. All men and the people who love them. Nixon was wrong about a lot of things, but he's right about this. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. What say you, Joe Biden? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I want to talk about Christians and an increasingly secularized America. We'll do that in just a moment. First, I want to go to John. And if you want to jump into the conversation, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Emails go to talk at Lars Larson. You can find our daily question on X at Lars Larson Show. John, what's on your mind? Well, Lars, uh, when you were talking about uh, Michigan uh, asking residents to help the homeless uh, move into their house, it made no, me think the, of the illegal old movie. aliens, not the homeless, the illegal aliens. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay. Anyway, it made me think of the old movie Doctor Zhivago, uh, and it was a story about the Russian doctor after the Bolshevik res- revolution and how communism just upset his whole life and his family and had all those people moving into his home. And um, it might be a good movie for people to rent just to see. It seems like we're moving down the the same path. It's been about a million years since I've seen it. It's a very beautiful movie. I mean, it's a very well shot movie and interesting stories you point out. But we are headed down that path, I think, because there seem to be efforts from almost every direction all the time to push Americans in the direction of socialism, which I always think 
comes at the point of a gun and in, inevitably leads to communism. I mean, because I, I've had people say, well, we're a socialist country already. And I said, well, we're getting close because in a socialist country, uh, the government does not own the means of production. So say it doesn't own the automobile factories, but it directs all of the operations. Well, we're just about there. I mean, we've seen America's car companies recently, as a good example, uh, literally uh, f uh, follow the government's directions right over a cliff. I use Ford Motor Company, which is making EVs right now and is losing its shirt selling EVs that the government tells them to make. And while making a lot of money on gasoline-powered vehicles to the point where all their profits are wiped out by doing what the government tells them to do. And so what's the difference between that and socialism, where the government actually directs all of the activities. It's a command-based economy where the government would just simply tell Ford, this is what kind of cars you are going to make, and these are the kind you're not going to make, and this is how many you're going to make, and this is what you're going to sell them for. And, and then a, a quick step from that to where the government actually holds title uh, to the means of production. But frankly, if the government can decide what you do and how you do it, why do they need to hold the title? You know, they control the activity. They, they just don't have the title to the company. Uh, but it's not much of a step from socialism to communism. And you're right, telling Americans you have to share your housing. And what's really funny, John, is when you look at what Michigan is asking people to do, they did not ask them take in a homeless person. They did not ask them take in a U.S. veteran who's living on the streets. They didn't tell them or, or ask them to do that, but they are asking them to take in, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the worst of the worst. Uh, people who've yeah. come into our country illegally, they seek to, to get benefits by coming here. They seek to work jobs by coming here, and they're not following any of the rules. So you've got a government that tells American citizens, you have to follow all the rules, and if you don't, we'll come down on you like a ton of bricks. You will declare all your income, you'll do this, you'll do that, and if you don't do it, you're in big trouble. But somebody comes across the border illegally, identifies himself illegally, gets a job illegally, maybe files his taxes, maybe not, uh, and that's an, another legal matter. And then you've got government officials like Gretchen Whitmer's government saying, and, and you'll have somebody offer you a free place to live inside their home, as though your home doesn't really belong to you anymore. It belongs to whatever the government tells you to do. it. Now, they haven't yet reached the step of ordering people to do this, but that, I think, is not a far step away, is it? Yeah, I think you're right, Lars. I think November is going to be the defining moment for this country. Yeah, it's funny because, John, having been in the news business a long time, almost every four years, I, I can't remember uh, a presidential election year where we didn't say why this is the most important uh, a presidential election ever. But I think we've actually reached the real point where it is because America yeah. will either embrace this notion that Joe Biden is really president, that he's actually calling the shots, that he's making good decisions on behalf of Americans, and that reelecting him is a great idea. All of those, in my book, are false notions. They're also going to try to get you to embrace the idea that Donald Trump is the worst thing that ever happened. This survey that came out from these knuckleheads at the universities saying Trump is the worst president in American history, that FDR is the number two best president in american history which i i'd argue that one all day long 
uh, and that that Lincoln was the best president and Washington actually ranks number three. And Joe Biden comes in only uh, see Obama four points behind that at number seven and Joe Biden at number 14. Does anybody, any sensible person think that Joe Biden is the 14th best president in American history? (laughs) It just goes to show the power of propaganda, I think. It really is because they want you to believe things that just make no sense. I'd love to talk to somebody, and we may get one of these professors to come on and ask him, do you really think Joe Biden's a better president than Ronald Reagan? And you go back and you look at the at the uh, the policies of the Reagan era and the decisions that Ronald Reagan brought for this country. He had a country, I, I know a lot of people aren't going to remember this, I was a kid during Jimmy Carter's uh, you know, a, a kid, I was graduating high school about the time that Jimmy Carter was in office, and he was terrible. He was an absolutely terrible president in the late 1970s. In fact, the best news for Jimmy Carter was the election of Joe Biden, because Jimmy Carter is no longer the worst president in American history. But he, but Reagan comes into a country that was in recession. Americans had been told by the president, you citizens are the problem. It's your malaise that is dragging the country down. And Reagan came in and said, hey, it's morning in America again. And and he made great decisions. And he also communicated strength. A president who'd stand up from the table where he's talking to the then uh, Soviet head and said, oh, no, these, this conversation's over. And he walked away. In any negotiation, you have to be willing to walk away at some point. Reagan, who would take military actions against Libya and other countries, but he always clearly communicated to Americans, this is what we're doing, this is why we're doing it, This is, we've run out every other option, and this is what we're doing. Do you think anybody, if they see Joe Biden, I know he's going to try and do this reset at the State of the Union address, do you think anybody buys that Joe Biden is making great decisions for Americans? Because I certainly don't. John, thanks for the call. Let's go to Alaska and talk to Mark. Hey, Mark, thanks for listening in the great white north. How are you? I'm fine, sir. Thanks for taking my call. Another facet I have for your equation, in Alaska, uh, as a pastor, I help people on the streets. And when bringing them into my home, to help them get automobiles, help them get a job, and eventually get out on their own. I'm told state law is that if they put a toothbrush up or receive mail, they can sue me for part ownership in my home. I don't know about, I mean, maybe under Alaska law. I know in most states, if you allow somebody to live in your home for any length of time, it can be as short as a couple of weeks, usually 30 days would be the limit. If they're there 30 days, they are your tenant. And even if you're not taking a single dime from them in rent, they are your tenant. And it's very hard to evict them from your home, even if it's your home and you agreed to share it out of the goodness of your heart. Um, and I just want people to know that because when Michigan says, take these illegal alien families in for 90 days, at the end of 90 days, when you say, you know, it's time for you to find your own place to live, and they say, we don't want to. We like staying at your house. They may have a tough time getting them to move out. Mark, thanks for the call and thanks for listening. Coming up is the 2024 election as good as stolen by the same folks who stole the 2020 election, all because the tools are in place.
Gun Control Explained. Want to stop drunk drivers from killing sober drivers? Ban sober drivers. That's how gun control works. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your calls. We'll get back to those in a moment. I want to talk to John Daniel Davidson, who serves as senior editor at The Federalist, about something that, John Daniel, it really comes up all the time on the show. People will say, hey, Lars, uh, aren't they just going to steal the 2024 election the way they did in 2020? Because I believe they did steal it. And I tell them, because I'm the happy warrior type, I say, well... You know, I think they put new controls in place in a lot of the battleground states. And, uh, of course, the Trump team may be a little more tuned up to take on the challenges when they see the cheating during the process and not long after the process. Am I being just too uh, simplistic about this and and too uh, Pollyannish about this and assuming we've fixed some of the problems from 2020? Well, I won't accuse you of anything, but I will say for my part, I'm not as optimistic as you are. I think that they are gearing up to run more or less the same playbook they ran in 2020 um, because it worked. And when I say they, I I really mean this sort of amorphous, uh, complex constellation of institutions ranging from the Department of Defense, Department of State, the CIA, the Department of Homeland Security, and all of the really obscure offices underneath those that are charged with censoring the Internet. And that's really the big key here is that they are pre-censoring and have been censoring us for some time now, just as in the seven months prior to the 2020 election, as we now know, they were censoring any discussion of confidence in ballot harvesting, in absentee voting, in vote tabulations at at vote tabulation centers, any discussion of that or um, posts on social media, whether it was from a media organization like the Federalist or just ordinary people, got throttled, suppressed, and censored by organizations that are funded largely by the federal government. I mean, because be sure that's happening right now. Well, I mean, because, John, one of the things that's happening is they've they they are right. I don't think they can get quite to it because of the First Amendment. But I think they'd like to make it a criminal act for any of us to say this election process is screwed up. It's got flaws. It's got opportunities for fraud. And you shouldn't trust it. That if I say that, that what they'll say is, Lars, you're trying to diminish trust in the election and 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 they can't quite make it a crime because you have the First Amendment, but they want to make it just short of that and use that as an excuse to throttle down that kind of speech, right? Well, they can't make it a crime, but they can make it so that no one sees your post, right? If you post yep. that on Facebook or Twitter, they can they can throttle that, and they do that through third party proxies that are that are still funded by the government. It's just that the government has created agencies and deputized third parties to do this on their behalf. So, of course, there's not an office within the State Department that's throttling tweets, but they contract with third parties like the uh, Election Integrity Project and the Stanford Internet Observatory and and others, and those, those organizations then liaise with the social media companies that know very well that if they don't do what the government is 
asking them to do, there will be consequences. And so it's really, you know, we got into this last year a little bit with the Twitter files, but what we're learning, you know, month over month is that the Twitter files is the tip of the iceberg. It goes really deep, uh, and there's a lot of money and a lot of manpower behind efforts to censor what Americans can see and what they can share online. You know, it's almost like, John, what it's, it makes me think of is when you want to use a criminal organization uses a cutout of some kind, and intelligence yeah. agencies use a cutout. So they say, well, last time we had the White House and various you know, big-name federal agencies talking directly to Twitter, to Facebook, and all that, saying, hey, we think you ought to take down these posts. And the, you know, the, all these private companies that you would think would resent the government telling them what to do just snapped to, saluted, and said, yes, sir, and took a bunch of stuff down. And they thought, well, that looks a little too obvious. So why don't we We'll have the message go from the White House or the DOJ or any other agency, we'll have it go through these cutouts, and then the cutout will tell the social media agencies, except that all the people who get the message at the end of it know what the message was and where it was really coming from. So they do the same thing. They, they salute and say, yes, sir. Oh, absolutely. And look, the people that are doing this are experts at it. They've been doing it for 10 years. A lot of this stuff used to be deployed overseas. Uh, you know, this, this, this was uh, efforts by the State Department, the Department of Defense, and the CIA to keep Facebook and Twitter running in places like Egypt and Tunisia during the Arab Spring. Uh, this was what was behind uh, the, you know, uh, color revolution in Ukraine in 2004. I was going to say, you're going to bring uh, up the Maidan, aren't you? And, and I, I would agree yeah. with you. Because we, we don't want anybody messing with our elections, but we're perfectly happy about election with messing with other countries' elections, right? Well, exactly. And what happened was that all of those experts and all of these capabilities that had been deployed overseas, after 2016, they were turned toward the United States and deployed against U.S. citizens. Uh, and so now, you know, we have a situation where, uh, it, you know, the, stealing the election may not amount to, um, you know, changing votes or having, you know, enough dead people vote. I mean, that does happen. But it's more uh, like what we saw in 2020. The Hunter Biden laptop story was throttled with the same mechanisms that the CIA and the State Department and the Defense Department have used overseas to circumvent state media, to circumvent governments, uh, and, to, uh, and to push favored narratives and kill disfavored narratives. That happened in 2020, and that will happen again in 2024. You can bet on it. John Daniel Davidson is the senior editor of The Federalist. In the last minute, we've got. So, John, tell us how to fight back. <laughs> well, it's important for people to understand what's going on first. It can seem complex and complicated uh, at first, but the main thing for Americans to understand is that their own government has weaponized disinformation warfare against the American people. And so you need to understand when you use social media and when you consume news media online, you are not uh, getting a pure product. You are getting a, a media and information that is filtered through narrative lenses that have been carefully crafted for you to be able to see what the permanent regime in Washington wants you to see. And so the first step is being aware of what's going on uh, and understanding and accepting that it's happening. Because I think it's hard for a lot of people to even accept that this is happening because it seems like something out of a movie. But it is happening and it's happening right now. So they have to read the same way I read the New York Times. I do read it. I read the Wall Street Journal. I, I, I'm on the right, but I read the left as well. 
But I also understand sure. the kind of filter it's coming through before it shows up uh, on the front page of the New York Times or the WAPO. John, it's a, pr- a pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks for having me. That is John Daniel Davidson, senior editor at The Federalist. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Check out my Instagram feed. You'll find I've got a face for radio, but it's worthwhile. And tell Alexa to play The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Daisy was abandoned by... Okay, it's a nice ride. It's going to happen. Stand by playback. I know. Lars. Real Red Meat Radio. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Never apologize. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I realize we've talked about trans an awful lot on this program, but it's very much a target-rich environment and is very much a threat to Americans. And I want to explain to you why, especially to children. And that is children in athletic competition to the privacy of children, to the rights of children. I've, there are three brand new examples, at least three, that I've got to give to you because these are so crazy. But almost on a daily basis, I could find things that are being done in the name of transgender rights, so-called, that should be offensive to just about everybody and that threaten to intrude on the civil rights of kids and families and adults as well. So let me start into this. But first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And if you care to, take a moment and cast a vote in our X poll. Used to be called the Twitter poll, but you'll find it on X, at Lars Larson Show. And here's the question. Michigan wants residents to house illegal aliens and refugees, would you take them in? My answer would be no. People who came to my country with no invitation are about as welcome as a midnight guest at your house who's broken into your house. He's not a guest. He is an intruder. If somebody comes to your country and they come without your permission as a country, then they are unwelcome. And yet, for political reasons, various people from Joe Biden on down have decided they want to welcome in literally millions of people and then say to communities around America, you got to do something with all these people. And they've done that to the big cities. Now, Michigan is demanding that its residents put up housing for up to 90 days for both illegal aliens and refugees. The question is, when Michigan says, will you share your home with these refugees for at least 90 days? And I'd encourage you to take a look at the landlord-tenant laws in your state, because even if you're not charging those illegal aliens, if you decide to take them in, Once you've taken them in, they establish tenant rights in your home. And getting rid of them may be more than a little bit difficult. Again, you can find the question at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. But let me get to these transgender examples quickly. Number one, 
three girls injured in a basketball game because they were playing against a girls varsity team from another school. And one of the players was transgender, a male on the opposing team who identifies as a female. And what happened? The coach of this charter school, the Lowell girls basketball team, made the decision to simply end the game and take the forfeit. Why? Because he'd already seen three of his players injured in the game. He said the bench was already depleted going into the game with the 12-player roster having four players already unable to play. When the coach saw three more girls go down in the first half, leaving him with just five players, he made the call to end the game early. The school wrote in a press release that the charter school playoffs were coming up and he needed a healthy and robust bench in four days. Once the third was injured, the remaining five expressed concern about him about continuing to play. And what happened? They were playing against a biological male. In other words, a boy at high school age is going to be bigger, taller, heavier, and stronger. And they'd already, he'd already managed to knock three players out of competition. And even the Babylon Bee noticed the story about transgender basketball. Their headline was, Trans Basketball Player Achieves Rare Triple-Double with 36 points, 14 rebounds, and 11 concussions. I understand. Sometimes parody gets the point across. Then you've got America's Secretary of State, this Anthony Blinken character. And he has two wars to worry about already. A war in Israel against, uh, against uh, Hamas, the terrorist group, in Gaza. He's got a war in Ukraine and the potential for a third war. Uh, that one would be China over Taiwan, possibly involving the United States. What is Secretary of State Anthony Blinken worried about? He's worried about pronouns. He's actually instructed employees of the State Department. That's about 30,000 people in the U.S. State Department to refrain from using gendered terms. What does he mean by gendered terms? Mother, father, manpower. You can't use the term manpower. So Anthony Blinken says that gender is a social construct, so he's drank the Kool-Aid, and that a person's gender identity may or may not correspond with one's sex assigned at birth. Blinken encouraged his colleagues at the State Department to use gender-neutral language whenever possible and show respect and avoid misunderstandings. Can you imagine the misunderstandings? This Secretary of State has to deal with foreign countries, uh, let's take, for example, the almost 60 Muslim-majority countries. Do you think they're warmed up to the idea that, uh, that transgender rights should be a thing? Do you think that's a possibility? And then I've got this, two examples from Great Britain, which America should see as warning signs right here. Number one, you and I both know that guys literally cannot nurse babies. But if you pump a guy who pretends to be a girl with enough hormones they can simulate female breasts. And now the doctors at the NHS, that's the National Health Service, that's socialized medicine in Great Britain, have declared that milk is as good for babies as mother's milk. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. For all the women out there who've had children, and your doctor probably told you, anything you drink, anything you eat, any medicine in your system may end up in your breast milk. So. They warn you against drinking alcohol. They warn you against smoking cigarettes. You've got a guy who's had to pump his body full of enough hormones so that his breasts start producing milk. 
And now these doctors at the NHS in Great Britain have declared that milk is just as good as the stuff that comes from ladies. And then this one. This one was kind of sad. There's a young lady in Great Britain again whose name is Lindsay Smith. And she is apparently a soccer fan, a real solid soccer fan. But she was notified that she is engaged in hate speech and she can no longer attend Premier League soccer games at a stadium that's about 10 miles from her home. Now, what awful thing did Lindsay Smith do? First, I should tell you, parenthetically, Lindsay Smith is a gay woman. And why is that significant? Because she made some comments online on social media saying that no man is ever a woman. In other words, she rejects the idea of transgender. And what happened? Well, she got a notification. She was emailed by Newcastle United, which is her favorite team, soccer team. She got an email from Team Security that her membership had been suspended pending an investigation for an alleged hate crime. The investigation stemmed from tweets that Smith had posted on X, formerly Twitter, and she was told they could be transphobic because she said that men, no matter what they do, cannot be women. And that is hate speech, and she is now banned not just from this soccer season, but from the next two soccer seasons, her own free speech and the thoughts that go through her head are now sufficient to constitute a hate crime. And you say, well, that's not happening in America, to which I would always add, yet. Glad to be with you and glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'll be glad to get back to your call shortly at 866-HEY-LARS. And as you know, naysayers always go first on this show, so if you call in and disagree with yours truly, we'll be glad to put you first in line. Just stick around for a few hard questions. Uh, you can also send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for a cultural misappropriation by saying, is China, you know, kind of, uh, should we read the tea leaves by looking at China's actions and determine whether or not they're testing the waters for a possible Taiwan invasion with some of the activities they've taken up recently. Miles Yu joins me now, who's a senior fellow and director of the China Center at the Hudson Institute. Miles, welcome back. Thank you for having me, Lars. So we've been watching for a while. China flies warplanes uh, through the ADZ, the zone around Taiwan, in a provocative way. They take other actions, and now they drove away. Taiwan had to drive away a Chinese Coast Guard boat that had entered into its territorial waters near a frontline island. Tell me about that and, and whether or not this indicates to you that we can read that as, as uh, China is getting ready now to take some action against Taiwan. Well, the Chinese always have the kind of nervous uh, uh, spasm of political nature from time to time. Last week, it was about the mobilizing the entire nation's propaganda machine against the, the Argentine soccer star uh, Lionel Messi. 
because he couldn't play in the exhibition game in Hong Kong. So China thought this was a huge international conspiracy against China. Uh, because uh, part of the reason was uh, Messi was playing for a club owned by two Cubans uh, with uh, anti-Castro, anti-communist uh, sentiment. So that's basically it. Now that was basically uh, looks so ridiculous. Now they focus on this Taiwan issue. This was a purely an accidental uh, occurrence. Uh, uh, four fishermen from China you know, in violation of some kind of, uh, of a fishing regulation. So their boat sort of capsized, and then two of them drowned, and two others were rescued by Taiwanese side, took it back. Normally, this basically was a pretty um, uh, normal situation. So there was a negotiation or exchange of, uh, of bodies and uh, um, uh, information, rescue efforts and, and records. And now, all of a sudden, in the last two days, the Chinese Communist Party propaganda machine is finding up this, uh, this anti-Taiwan sentiment, partly because of their top diplomat uh, sort of uh, delivered a very tough message in Munich uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago. So they want to coordinate with that thing. I mean, it's all about the puffing and buffing. You know, within, the, within a few days, this thing will also dissipate. You think it will. And, and then they'll go on to the next incident. And they're all about these little issues, because you, I guess just from a distance, not knowing that much about China's, you know, mainland culture, uh, that, that, do they see the need somehow to constantly be calling this into question or that into question to maintain their, their national face? Or what's the reason? It's not the nation. It's the Chinese Communist Party. The Chinese Communist Party has uh, set itself an impossible uh, task. That is, uh, it, it tells the people that it's infallible. It's uh, uh, of a supreme wisdom. So it cannot do anything wrong. So you, to prove that, you must find a constant tangible evidence to, uh, to, to sort of, you know, uh, make people believe that. And this is the problem. Uh, this little two island, you know, this, this island actually was about, uh, very close to mainland shore. It's um, about 100 miles away from Taiwan, but not, nevertheless two miles uh, away from mainland coast. Uh, uh, coast. So this, uh, it's a very sensitive, but it's, it's, uh, this kind of incident happens all the time. So um, I think, you know, um, they have to created some kind of minor crisis to showcase the Chinese Communist Party's uh, um, awesome power and its infallibility. In the end, it always looks silly. You know, that's why people are used to this kind of, uh, uh, I would say, uh, cantankerous cranks. Well, because, I mean, the get-off-my-lawn kind of phenomena, but doesn't it, seem, doesn't it ever come home to mainland China that when, say, you have some a fishing boat capsized and a couple of guys die? And then Taiwan helps to rescue some of your sailors and then makes arrangements to return them. Does that kind of goodwill gesture actually do any good? Yes, but then uh, it's good uh, from your perspective, from my perspective, from normal perspective. But China doesn't take that away. Uh, first of all, the Chinese is notorious, are notorious for illegal fishing. This is the worldwide phenomenon. China has the largest, world's largest fishing fleet. I mean, uh, they did most of the, they have done most of the fishing illegally, uh, not only in its coastal water, but also far away, in, even in Galapagos and the West Africa coast, for example. So uh, China has this kind of uh, skirmishes with uh, most of its neighboring countries. Uh, there are a lot of uh, law enforcement confrontations between the maritime police of various countries. South Korea had a confrontation with the illegal fishermen from China, and the people were killed. The, the South Korean coastal uh, maritime policeman was killed, and so was the Chinese uh, illegal fishermen there uh, a couple of years ago. 
And in, you say this in Japan and Indonesia also have this confrontation with Chinese illegal fishing fleet. So this is the phenomenon that, that kind of sort of form a pattern, a pattern of a great concern for, for the international community. So it's not just about Taiwan. No, but, but how do we, is there any way that we have of getting the, uh, the mainland Chinese to start understanding that they shouldn't do what they're, what they're doing or threatening to do to Taiwan? Because this thing threatens to suck the United States into this dispute as well. While we didn't have any formal defensive agreement with Ukraine, we do have such an agreement with Taiwan, do we not? I don't think we have the agreement, but we have a, a, a pledge, which is a, a, what we call Taiwan Relations Act. That yeah. was a 1979 law to uh, ensure that America will provide uh, defense capability uh, to Taiwan to fend off China's threat. So that's basically the commitment. And the United States are uh, selling a lot of weapons to Taiwan for self-defense. And I think another thing is, uh, another thing is uh, uh, China fundamentally believes the international order that governs uh, all the international commons uh, and American activities uh, is unfair. They say it is dominated by the, uh, the hegemon, which is the United States. So they are determined to overturn the entire system of international order, and that's a problem. So any tiny incident, uh, normally it's kind of transactional occurrence, China would interpret that as uh, another demonstration of this unfairness, injustice of global treatment of China. This is kind of a revanchist uh, perspective, which is very dangerous. That's exactly what the uh, late 19th century Germany was doing. This is exactly what the 1920s, 1930s, Hitler and the, um, and the Japanese were doing. They believe they want to create the new global order in their favor. And they refused to join. And the United States has engaged China for almost half a century, tried to engage China to, to behave as a responsible member of the international order, and we have failed. And, and does China see it uh, behaving or going along with what the other countries expect of them as somehow? Why do they not want to go along with it when they understand that acting like a good, you know, a good uh, part of the world community would, would end up uh, engendering goodwill elsewhere and behaving like uh, the guy who's always taking offense about something and saying there's a problem with this and there's a problem with that and there's a conspiracy against us makes the rest of the world distrust them, doesn't it? And do they understand? Yeah, that? yeah. I, mean, I think China, I think the Chinese hubris comes from two sources. One is the Chinese imperial past, which basically is a is a middle kingdom. is just a very, very uh, uh, is the center of the universe. So China wants to be treated <laughs> as such. Secondly, is basically the communist uh, 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 sense of mission. I mean, they think you know the world is uh, fundamentally unjust, fundamentally exploitative. So China wants to change that, and they they they, they, they combine this thing. That's why. China does not want to be a, a player, a team member. I believe China genuinely wants to be uh, part of the international order. However, they do not want to see an international order where the United States and Western values, democracy, freedom, and the fundamental frames of modernity be the leading force of the globe. China wants to l join the international order with its own value system, its own sort of a framework to be the leading um, leading uh, rule of, of the day. So that's not going to happen. They want to be part of a world community as long as the world community looks like communist China. Miles Yu, thanks very much. Miles is a senior fellow and director of the China Center at the Hudson Institute. Back in just a moment, glad to get your phone calls and emails.
And uh, your calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. So tell Alexa to play The Lars Larson Show. And check me out on Instagram. The Lars Larson Show. may talk about serious issues, but even Lars has a sense of humor. I have a joke for you. The government in this town is excellent and uses your tax dollars efficiently. (laughs) This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Well, while the United States Congress is in the middle of an election year, you don't expect them to get much done at all, which is something I think we ought to change, although it's going to take a lot of change to make the Congress actually work during an election year. Usually, they want to avoid voting on anything consequential and yet this country needs so very much so what do we end up with legislation on the border from the senate that's a non-starter dead on arrival in the house a house package that was actually pretty good hr2 uh except that went nowhere as well so i thought we'd talk to james massa who's ceo of numbers usa and one of the creators of the documentary america invaded james welcome back to the program I don't know what happened there. I'll tell you what. Where is he? Uh, Joel, can you double check? James, are you there? Now, we're going to have to have Joel reconnect him on another line. I don't know what's going on with that, but there it is. I want to get James on because I know he's got a perspective on what's going on with, uh, with these legislation on Capitol Hill. And we keep ending up with legislation that passes the House and never gets anywhere in the Senate. Uh, passes the Senate, never gets anywhere in the House. And meantime, we've got an American border. I think I might have said earlier today that 10,000 people a day, that's accurate. And then I said 300,000 a year. I might have said a year. It's actually 300,000 plus a month. James, are you there? Yes, this is James. Hey, James. Uh, I, I just introduced you as the CEO of Numbers USA and one of the creators of this documentary, America Invaded. Are we ever going to get a border bill that's actually going to make a difference? I, I believe you might. I, I believe that right now there's going to be a battle coming up. It's either going to be a battle having to do with Ukraine funding and other military funding versus border security, or it's going to be a battle on the actual funding of the U.S. government. That's right around the corner coming up in March. Right now the indicators are it's going to be a battle over the military funding and making sure we secure our borders before we secure anybody else's lands. So well, I think it's coming. I, you know, HR2 is in place, and I think it's a, a bill that would actually secure the border. Well, I mean, wouldn't it be nice if when the House passes a decent bill like HR2, I know the Democrats hate the idea of actually acting decisively on the border, but take it up in the Senate and have a vote on it. Let the, the, let the Democrats vote it down if that's what they want, uh, and then tell the American public, yep, the border's a mess, and we decided as Democrats we're not going to do it, except they'll probably dodge the decision altogether, won't they? Well, they have so far. Senator Cruz brought up a companion bill right after H.R. 2 was passed in the House, and they couldn't get it to the floor for a vote. So now they've gone through this whole thing that was the Langford bill with McConnell behind it, and it did anything except anything out of H.R. 2. I mean, it had nothing to do with H.R. 2, which secured the border, and it had everything to do with actually expanding immigration and and codifying illegal immigration. So, 
No, I, I think that the Senate needs to show that they are willing to actually have conversation, which we're going to see on Mayorkas, by the way, as well. They're trying to avoid having conversation and actually do their responsibility with the Mayorkas uh, uh, impeachment hearing as well. Isn't that amazing that the Constitution can provide for impeachment and it says the House has to vote on impeachment and if it passes the House, then it goes to the Senate for a trial. And then to have members of the U.S. Senate say, we're just not going to have the trial. They're going to ignore the Constitution. Well, that is the issue with this whole administration is, you know, the laws exist from the Congress and those laws are to be followed. And throughout this administration's uh, time, they've ignored the law of the land. So immigration has been super high. You've had border surges like unprecedented ways. As you mentioned, 300,000 people uh, a month showing up at their southern border to come in illegally into the United States. I mean, these are unprecedented numbers. It's because the rule of law is not being followed. This is another example of that. You know, I guess one before I ask you about American Invaded, um, that's one of the phenomena I've been concerned about for a long time, because I've told people, I said, if, if you end up with a country where the government says we're not going to follow the law, then I know a lot of citizens, mostly law-abiding citizens in this country, who are going to say, well, if you don't care about following the law, then why should I follow the law? You start to erode the voluntary compliance with the law that actually keeps things going most of the time. I mean, the IRS could say you have to pay your taxes or what? You know, we'll come and take your stuff. Well, fine. What if everybody doesn't pay their taxes? At that point, you've got an unmanageable problem. What if nobody obeys the speed limit? What if everybody breaks certain laws to the point where if enough people break a law, there's nothing effective the government can do to force you to follow? I mean, they can they can slap down some hard compliance measures on a few people. But if if a huge number of people just say we're just not going to follow the law. And I think I think the both the House and the Senate to different degrees have done exactly that. They are eroding confidence that the government is going to follow the law. And I don't mind then the argument, well, if they're not going to follow the law, then why should I? Well, you know, we see that today in the hiring of illegal immigrants. You know, one of the one of the parts of HR two is the mandatory use of e verify, which is Good. an electronic, easy to use, inexpensive way to be able to ensure a person's actually a U.S. citizen or has a valid work permit. And if they do, it's, it's easy to identify them. No false documents, no confusion, none of those types of things. But it's not mandatory. So it'd be like people saying, oh, you have to pay taxes, but I don't have to. So it's an unlevel playing field in the workforce. And so you end up having people who are out there trying to make a living and people out there trying to make a profit. And it ends up causing a, an unfair, un, unsafe environment. And all it takes is for us to make sure it's mandatory for everybody, just like taxes are mandatory for everyone. You should have to be a U.S. citizen or have a valid work permit to work in the United States. It's that simple. Yeah, and, and there's an easy way to do it. In fact, James, there was a bill a long time ago. I think it might have been Steve King. It might have been a different member uh, who proposed it. I still have a copy of it. And his idea was simple. Tell the IRS to tell every business in America, when you submit your taxes, like I submit my taxes for my little business with three producers on the payroll, you have to show us a legitimate, you know, name and social and DOB for each of those employees. If you can't do that or won't do that, you don't get to deduct their wages. And uh, people who've never done business uh, say, well, what would that do? I said, well, if I had to pay taxes on money I've already paid out in salaries to people, I'm going to owe a gigantic amount to the IRS. 
my my uh, the the lady who does my taxes is going to say, Large, you better clear those illegals off the books and hire somebody else because you can't deduct all the money you're paying as salaries. You're going to owe the IRS a giant chunk of money. And if they did that, it would have it would self enforce this. Every business in America would say, We can't afford to hire you if you don't if you won't pass e verify because we can't possibly, you know, exist if we take in a million dollars and pay out eight hundred thousand in salaries and then we can't you know, we can't count the salaries as, as a cost of business because they're not legal workers and we can't you know, we gotta pay taxes on eight hundred grand we don't have. That would that would fix the problem right away, wouldn't it? Well, it, it does fix the problem. You know, the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas did a study, and it's our mandatory E-Verify, the states that have implemented it. And in every state that it's implemented, depending on how they've done the enforcement, they've had a 33% to 83% reduction in what is legally called the alien presence. This is illegals who are there in that state trying to take jobs. 83% have left the state where you have mandatory E-Verify because it works. You know, it says, hey, everybody here is an equal opportunity employer. You have to be a U.S. citizen or have a valid work permit. And if you don't qualify for that, you need to go somewhere else. And, and people just leave. That's what needs to be turned off in our nation is this jobs yep. magnet is attracting people in. But hey, James, where can people find America Invaded? Yeah, I wanted to say sensibleimmigration.com is the site to go to. Uh, we're also allowing you to have a uh, a little bit of a special uh, session in there that you can get some extra things for yourself and become a Numbers USA member where you can actually have tools to be able to communicate these good things to your Congress people accordingly. So sensibleimmigration.com is the place to go. That's the place to go. James Massa, CEO of Numbers USA, brand new documentary, America Invaded. We'll be back in a moment. I'll get to your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at Lars. vegan actually is? They say cows are bad for the environment because all they do is eat plants and fart, just like vegans. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show, and I guess I have a dog in the fight if we talk about the jab. The jab is the MNRA so-called vaccine that was produced by Operation Warp Speed uh, and then turned into so-called vaccines in uh, December of 2020. There were questions about whether or not this stuff is safe. Anyway, I want to talk about this in a brand new study about COVID-19 vaccines. And this one is a whopper because it looked at almost 100 million vaccinated individuals. And it looked through a number of different countries. The U.S. was not one of them. It was Argentina, Australia, Canada, Denmark, Finland, France, New Zealand, and Scotland. So... A good spread of different kinds of countries from all over the world, and they studied 100 million vaccinated individuals. So uh, I have to disclose my dog in the fight. I decided not to take the jab. I didn't think I needed it, and it turns out I don't need it. And I've argued against it uh, since we began to find out some of the side effects of the jab. And uh, it, it firmed my resolve, let's put it that way, uh, that I had made the right decision in deciding not to take the jab. But before I 
give you the details of this study. Welcome to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And if you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. If you happen to be a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the list at 866-439-5277. If you want to send an email, talk at LarsLarson.com. We tried to make that one easy to remember. And you can vote in our poll on X. used to be the Twitter poll. The question today, Michigan has told its residents that the government of Michigan wants residents of that state to house illegal aliens and refugees for 90 days or longer. Now, they haven't ordered them to do it, but they're saying we would like you to voluntarily take in illegal aliens and refugees, provide them with a roof over their heads and presumably meals and everything else. Would you take them in? My answer to that would be a good, solid no. They are not invited guests of the United States. They are not here legally. And to do that would be to say, I agree with Joe Biden's open borders policy. I do not. U.S. law does not agree. The Border Patrol does not agree. ICE, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, does not agree. And now all of a sudden, Michigan, just like uh, Massachusetts, is asking that its residents house the illegal aliens and refugees. And I have a feeling that right right after that ask is going to come the tell. I have a feeling that uh, before you know it, You're going to see states saying to their residents, hey, Joe opened up the floodgates, let in an invasion of illegal aliens. We're now telling you to take these people in. And in the meantime, we're diverting your tax revenue. We're diverting it away from schools. We're diverting it away from police. We're diverting it away from all the services that government is obligated to provide for its citizens. And we're going to divert all those monies to the illegal aliens who've invaded America. New York is already doing this very publicly. In fact, they're even handing out cash to people who are illegally in the country in amounts of $1,000 every 28 days. But you can vote in the X poll. You'll find it at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. And then yesterday's poll, should a non-citizen have any say in the running of American elections? The example is San Francisco where San Francisco decided that a Chinese national by the name of Kelly Wong, who's in the United States, she's been here five years, she is now she now has a seat on the San Francisco Elections Commission. She can't actually vote in American elections, but she gets some say-so. And her stated goal is to make sure that everybody who is in America is able to vote whether they are a citizen or not, whether they can vote legally or not, she wants to make it possible to let them vote. But let me get to this study. It was published at thehill.com, which is one of the big uh, uh, online media that cover Capitol Hill. A new study on COVID-19 vaccines that looked at almost 100 million vaccinated individuals has affirmed the vaccine's previously observed links to increased risks for certain adverse effects, including myocarditis and Guillain-Barre syndrome. The researchers noted that COVID-19 infections have consistently been found to be more likely to cause the conditions observed in the study than the vaccinations. And they add that the uh, there should be weight given to the risk-benefit ratio of immunization. It's one of the conversations we've had on this show so many times when people say, Well, do you think I should take the jab? I say it's up to you, but consider the risks and the rewards like you do with everything else in your life. 
So the study was done by Global Vaccine Safety Project, which, by the way, is supported by the Centers for Disease Control. So if you're tempted to say, Lars, this is probably one of those studies that was done by a bunch of anti-vaxxers. No, it's actually a project of the CDC and the, the Department of Health and Human Services. Several of the authors, of course, have found uh, financial support from or have relationships with government agencies, including CDC, New Zealand Health uh, Ministry, and the Canadian Institute of Health uh, Research, as they've disclosed a potential conflict of interest. So if anything, You'd think these are going to be the people who stand behind their national government agencies in saying you need to take this vaccine. The researchers looked for 13 different kinds of what they call adverse effects of special interest in vaccine recipients for up to 42 days after the shots were given. The conditions included Guillain-Barre, as I mentioned, Bell's palsy, convulsions, myocarditis, and pericarditis. What did they find? A significant increase, that's the way they describe it, in cases of Guillain-Barre syndrome among those who got the AstraZeneca vaccine. Both mRNA vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna were associated with instances of myocarditis, inflammation of the heart muscle, which uh, which occurred more than was expected. Because when they first put this thing out on the market and started giving people jabs in the arm, that was December of 2020. Now, by the time Joe Biden took the oath of office, although he apparently didn't know it, uh, he said nobody had had the vaccine till he came to office. He made a number of comments like that, even though he and his wife had both had a shot in December and a shot also in the month of January. And uh, there were already about 13 million people who had received the shot by that time. But both of the vaccines were associated with these increased risks, which were higher than they would have expected based on the research that had been done. And I just have to point this out to you. In 2019, not long before the pandemic began in the early part of 2020, Dr. Anthony Fauci was at a medical conference. And they said, well, what about new ways of creating vaccines? He said, we may come up with some new ways of creating vaccines. But when we do it, we'll have to run all of them through all the clinical trials, all the testing to make sure they're safe. It's going to take close to 10 years to get that done. And that's what Anthony Fauci had to say about it. In the end, what they said was, we've got a vaccine. You know, Katie, bar the door. We're going to go ahead and go with it, even though we know it's got risks. And now we know the risks are greater than what the they thought Lars they were going to be. Larson You're show. listening to The Lars Larson Show.